Well, it was 10.30 p.m. on the Saturday night of a Victor Harbour Baptist Young Adults Camp, when after I'd put on a long day of teaching, overseeing meal prep, uh, clean up, leading worship, pastoral conversations, and just generally ensuring the camp was going to be going smoothly, when Jenny, who we love, of course, and is not here today, I don't think, so we can talk about her, <laughs> stood up and across every conversation that was taking place over supper that night said, I'm driving out to see the dark sky, night, dark sky reserve to look at the stars. Who is coming with me? And we all stopped what we were talking about and quizzed her on exactly what she was talking about. <laughs> And Jenny went on to explain that just a short 20-minute drive from where we were staying in Manham was the River Murray Dark Sky Reserve. And it was a clear night, and it's an area that's completely untouched by any sort of human-made light pollution. And so you can go out and look at the stars. She said it claimed it was one of the best views of the stars one could ever get. It was a clear night, so Jenny was going, and evidently so was everyone else. <laughs> And perplexed at Jenny's sudden and never-before-mentioned love of stars, but mostly out of my own tiredness and longing for my pillow that night, and with a sprinkling of cynicism and arrogance, I probed Jenny and said, what, what is it that we're going to do? Stars? Look, I've seen stars before. Look, there's a star. There's another star right where we are. And just with the right amount of attitude and sarcastic tone, uh, that, that right amount of attitude to deal with the sarcastic tone that I was dishing out, Jenny said back, in love, just get in the car, Riley, and quit your whinging. <laughs> <laughs> so we made the drive to the designated Dark Sky Reserve car park and got out of the car and looked up. And I have to say, I was suitably rebuked for my earlier cynicism and sarcasm, that was the night sky like I had never seen it before. With not a cloud in the sky and not a human-made light to be seen anyway, the Milky Way galaxy was on full display. We could make out the constellations, we could see the gaseous clouds of the Milky Way, we saw shooting stars, we saw satellites passing overhead, and the longer we looked, the brighter the stars became. It was absolutely stunning. And I turned to Jenny and sheepishly said, all right, Jenny, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> and she said, well, you're glad you came, right? And I sighed, hating to be proved wrong, and said, yes, Jenny, I'm glad I came. <laughs> well, last week we introduced and spent time sitting in each of Walter Brueggemann's categories for the Psalms. If you were here last week, you'll remember that uh, moment where you could feel the, the anxiety level in the room rise when I said, turn to the person next to you and have a conversation. <laughs> Remember that if you were here. Um, the most consistent piece of feedback I got from last week's message, uh, last week's service, was, oh, when you made us turn and talk to the people next to us. I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> Followed by, but I'm really glad we did that. <laughs> We're not doing that today, don't worry, you can all relax. But Walter Brueggemann really helpfully and broadly um, groups the Psalms and the spirituality of the Psalms around these three categories of orientation, disorientation, 
and reorientation. We introduced all three of those last week. Over the next three weeks, we're going to take one of these uh, one by one. Today, it's orientation, where the world is all as it should be. Uh, it speaks of creation psalms and psalms that talk of God's good and right law for us, hence the theme of God's creation today. The other themes are disorientation, which are the psalms of lament and psalms of complaint, which are very much in abundance in the book of Psalms. And then the third will be this idea of reorientation, where God breaks through with new light in the darkness, where we, there was a sense of despair, God breaks through with hope. So next week we actually have uh, Mary Ackers, who's our State Baptist Next Gen and Leadership Facilitator, um, and she's going to be coming in and preaching for us. I know many of our young people and young adults know her, which will be a real treat, uh, and then after that Tony will lead us. I'm on leave a couple of weeks after today, and I look forward to being back with you after that. Last, last Sunday was quite uh, powerful, I thought, a significant way of engaging in each of these areas. Uh, but today we're going to look at Psalm 19, a wonderful psalm of orientation. A psalm that reflects both the goodness and beauty of creation, but also the goodness and beauty of the gift of God's Word, uh, the gift of God's law, or as the Hebrews referred to it as the Torah. And so let me read to you just this first section from Psalm 19, uh, from verse 1 to 6. It'll be on the screen, but you can follow along in your own Bibles if you want. I'm reading from the NIV. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. How's the opening line to that psalm? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You know, as I think back on that night at the young adults camp a few years ago, beholding the beauty of the night sky, letting our minds linger on just how unimaginably big the universe is and therefore how unimaginably small we are, trying to comprehend the reality that we are flying through space on this little ball of rock that we call Earth at 107,000 kilometers per hour, looking at the twinkle of the stars in the night sky, knowing that the closest star to us would take four years at the speed of light to arrive to, that I think that had a profound effect on all of us, more than just knocking cynicism out of me. <laughs> for a late-night adventure. I remember looking around at our group, and do you guys remember this? I, I, yeah, I, I, we stood there, and most of us just stood there, stunned with our necks looked, looking at the sky, marveling at what we saw. A few people actually lay on the ground, not worrying that the car park was made of rocks and dirt and really uncomfortable, just so that we could absorb it in uh, some just remained silent and still, and yet still others began to think of every worship song that they could that mentioned the stars and the galaxies, of which there is quite a catalogue. <laughs> Bit of an afternoon activity for you. Whether you consider yourself a spiritual person or not, there's something about the order and beauty of creation 
that draws us to something beyond ourselves, to something transcendent, something spiritual. The runner who sees the sunrise over the back of Granite Island on our weekly 6 a.m. Wednesday morning run and stops mid-run, which is a big no-no in the running community, to take a photo of the most amazing sunset, remarking, how good is it that we get to run here? The friend on social media who posted photos not of himself in New Zealand, but rather the scenery of snow-topped mountains and crisp, bright blue water and clear skies with the caption, the best hike I've ever been on. Or my friend who lives in Encounter Bay, when I visited, complimenting the view, their dining room window over the entire bay, looking down to Goolwa, I said, wow, what a stunning view that you get to wake up to this every single morning. And knowing that I was a pastor, he said, I know, isn't it beautiful? Every time I sit out there with my morning coffee, I'm just drawn to thank. And then stopped. Not really knowing how to complete the sentence, he just said, I just thank. Even when we have no one or nothing to direct our thanks or gratitude towards, there is a sense for all of us that our Father's world is pulsing with God-given life and beauty and declares day after day the glory of God. The question is, do we perceive it? And do we perceive Him? You know, if we turn back to page one of the Bible, we see the creation of our beautifully ordered uh, creation in this sort of rhythmic sequence that is laid out for us in chapter one. I'll paraphrase a little bit, but it goes something like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, which he called sky. And it goes on a bit. There was evening, there was morning the second day. And then God said, let dry ground appear. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. You notice the pattern. You notice the rhythm of the way God speaks creation into being. On it goes, God's creative proclaiming of creation into being with his word day after day, declaring it good, climaxing on day six at the, the pinnacle of his creation when he created humanity in Hebrew, the word Adam, which was where we get Adam from, and declaring it very good. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Why? Because he was exhausted? Because he was tired? Worn out, needing to put his feet up? No, because he was delighted. He sat back. You can imagine it. Isn't this great? Isn't this amazing? Isn't this creation good? All that he made reflected his creative character and his heart of love for his created beings. So, Victor Kids, here's your first one. The creation points us to our creator. It just does. The stars proclaim the goodness of God. Sorry, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Creation points us to our creator. You see, the trouble is, though, that though creation is like one giant signpost to the glory of God and, and so many in our world choose to ignore the God 
behind it all or don't see him altogether. You know, some would claim that all of creation is here by chance, by some sort of cosmic accident, that there's no intelligent, let alone loving mind behind any of this. It's all just one big sort of chance, which in my mind is the equivalent of taking out your iPhone and putting it on the table and going, wow, that's lucky that that exists. In all of its intricate design, in all of its computing power, in all of its ability to do everything that it does for us to make our lives function, you just go, well, there mustn't be someone behind that. Or others maybe might not claim creation and life as a cosmic accident. Maybe they wouldn't take it that far, but maybe they would be open to the existence of some form of God, some form of creator, but maybe we're too busy and too preoccupied with our own lives and ourselves that we actually ignore the creator and just see this gift of creation as there to serve us, to exploit it for all that we can, to to make our lives the most comfortable and happy that they can be. Now, if I'm honest, that is actually how I think about my iPhone, right? If I'm honest, I don't look at this phone and start thinking about Steve Jobs. (laughs) I don't look at this phone and start thinking about the engineers and technicians at Apple who are working year-round to try and uh, make these phones better and better and better. Really, I just want my phone to work. Just get me to where I need to be on my maps. Just text the person that I need to text. Just Google, tell me the answer. (laughs) I use my phone to make my life better. I'm thankful for those who make it, but it doesn't occupy my mind each day. That's how some view the world, ignoring the Creator, exploiting it for all it's worth to make our lives better. And then still there's others who actually do pay attention to the beauty and goodness and gift that this world is, recognizing that there is a good and beautiful and loving Creator behind it all, but just not willing to give their allegiance to Him. So while they're drawn to gratitude... Really, there's no one to direct that thankfulness to because we remain on the throne of our lives, sitting in charge, wanting to be king of our own kingdoms. And so all that's left to do is simply just awkwardly thank. The creation orients us to our creator. Don't miss him. Don't ignore him. Rather, let yourself be drawn to him in worship. When I was in Papua New Guinea in 2009 on a church mission trip, we were at the base of Mount Tavorvo, which was an active volcano in the town of Rabaul. Here's a picture for you. Uh, While we were there, talking to some people on the street selling bracelets and trinkets, we heard this enormous explosion. That photo on the left there is that explosion uh, that we heard. It sent that massive uh, ash cloud up into the air. Lightning strikes were taking place within the ash cloud. And then these massive burning hot boulders, which from our vantage point looked tiny, but probably were the size of cars, came flying out and landed in the ocean at the base. And that's the photo on the right there. Just the, those rocks smashing into the oceans. Now, while all of us Australians were wetting our pants with fear and our youth pastor was probably thinking, oh boy, Baptist Insurance is probably not going to cover us for this trip. (laughs) We were way too close. Um, The locals who were there began singing. 
singing this. Me lift him up, him name belong you. You yet you God, you big pillar. You number one, you on top of getter. You one pillar, you big pillar. How great thou art. In that moment, creation rightly oriented humanity to its creator. Creation points us to our creator. Don't miss him. Let it draw you to worship. Now, after the glorious introduction of Psalm 19, reflecting on creation itself, the psalm takes a pivot and it really takes an interesting turn of focus away from creation to actually starting to talk about the law of God. And actually, it might seem a little bit weird at the start to talk about the glory of God revealed in creation and then to start talking about God's word. That might seem a bit jarring, but actually it carries on this theme of orientation towards God really well. You see, when we, uh, while the good and beautiful creation orients us towards our good and beautiful creator, what we then begin to realize as we behold the good and beautiful creator is that his ways and his word and his law is also good and beautiful and leads us into the good and beautiful life that he has designed for us. Let me keep reading for you from Psalm 19, 7 to 11. Psalmist goes on, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold and much purer uh, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Do you get the sense the psalmist likes the word of God? <laughs> sort of said it about six different ways over and again. Often when we think about law, we think about rules, restrictions, prohibitions, what we're not allowed to do. Often we think in negative terms when we think about law. But this was not the case for the Israelites and the Hebrew audience who was hearing this psalm. You see, for the Israelites, the law of God was this amazing gift. It was given to them through Moses as a unique and precious gift of what it really meant to be human, how life worked best, and they, how they were to live their lives in this uh, unique covenant relationship with God in comparison to the ways the rest of the surrounding nations lived. They would see the Old Testament law and go, what a gift that God would give this to us. It was considered a blessing and the, the pathway into life abundant, bringing wisdom and light and righteousness and leading to a life of joy and great reward. We've just read that. 
The psalmist loved the law of God so much that the longest Psalm 119 in the whole, Psalm 119, is 176 verses. It's an acrostic poem throughout the Hebrew alphabet of just how great the law of God is. Go read that this afternoon. There's your second item. You got a lot of homework from today. Sorry about that. Half of you are on summer holidays, um, which means you've got time, so that's good. <laughs> so if the creation orients us to the Creator... The law of God or the ways of God orients us to just how life works best and what abundant life in this creation really is. Now, for us who are in Christ, we are no longer called to follow the Old Testament law uh, because we're under grace and the law is written on our hearts by the indwelling of the Spirit. But it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God indwelling us which lead us to the goal of the Old Testament law, which is exactly the same of um, Christ's call on our lives, which is that we would become a people more and more pervaded by love, love for God and love for one another. Love the Lord the God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these. It was the goal of the Old Testament. It was the goal of those who were followers of Christ. And it is the goal of our lives as followers of Jesus. That as we walk with Jesus, we would become more and more a people shaped by, pervaded by, oozing love for God and for each other. And so we need to understand the, this phrase, the law of God, through the lens of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and the gift of His Spirit. But the goal is the same. That life abundant, or in all its joy and all of its righteousness and satisfaction, is found in the way of God, namely in the way of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He shows us what God is really like and nothing else. Every other pattern or every other way of life, every other way of living apart from the way of Jesus will ultimately sell you short. It will leave you empty and not to mention the eternal realities to consider as well. We went back to Genesis 1, page 1 of the Bible. Let me take you to Genesis 2, page 2 of the Bible for here in a moment. Because we, as we go back to this creation narrative, what we see is that Uh, The creation orients us to the worship of our Creator, but as we go to chapter 2, what we realize is that Psalm 19 is actually taking us back to the beginning again. Because having finally created humanity, look at what God said. Genesis 2 from verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, "'You are free to eat from any tree in the garden.'" But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So what is it that we basically have here? It's God's word. It's God's law. It's God's invitation to live in His way at the very beginning, instructed to Adam. And why was this instruction given to Adam? Because this is what life abundant would have looked like. Humanity in complete trust of their Creator, complete dependence, complete confidence that God was for us and good in all things, and so that His instructions are good and for us in all things too. Except we know what happens if we flip to page three 
of our Bibles. Or turn to Genesis chapter 3 in our Bibles, the point in the story where the human heart is deceived into thinking that we're actually better at being God than God is at being God. Rather than trusting God, having confidence in His character, having confidence in His goodness, having confidence that His way is the best way, humanity seeks to usurp God's authority, seeking to place ourselves at the center of authority for life, rejecting God's good and beautiful ways, and we have been living in the natural consequences of our broken and sinful world ever since. Selfishness, exploitation of the vulnerable, self-aggrandizement from the personal to the national to the international level, mental health issues running rampant in the West, pain and sorrow unimaginable, brokenness, poverty, displacement, and I could go on and on. You see, the reality is from the beginning all throughout the Old Testament and into the Christ, uh, so into the time of Christ, the time of the church, and into all of eternity. Victor Kids, this is for you, but it's for all of us. Living in God's way is how life works best. Living in God's way is how life works best. It's the only way of God, it's only in the way of God that we find meaning and purpose and hope and the life abundant that our hearts have been aching for ever since the moment we were born. And so as we come to the third movement of this psalm, what we find is that it's a movement that mirrors the creation story again and brings us to a place of confession, recognizing our sinfulness and our need for God. Because when we consider the goodness and beauty of creation, we're oriented towards our Creator. And when we're oriented towards our Creator, we realize that living in His way is how life works best. But then when we consider God's way compared to the way that we actually live, we begin to realize, boy, I fall short. We realize just how far short we fall. And so the invitation is to pray with the psalmist in verse 12 to 14. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. And here's the prayer. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Genesis 1, we saw the God who created the heavens and the earth. All thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. In Genesis 2, we saw the command of God, the way or the law of God that if obeyed would have led to life abundant, everlasting, filled with joy and great reward, abundant blessing. And in Genesis 3, we just see how just easy it is for the human heart to be deceived by the voice of the tempter, leading us both to willful sin and hidden faults. And so as we have taken this journey through the creation of our world and human condition, which is both in Genesis 1 to 3, but reflected so beautifully for us in Psalm 19, the invitation this morning is to allow God to do a work of orientation in your heart. 
allow the, the, the beauty of creation in all of its tropical wonder down here in the south coast <laughs> to orient you to our Creator. Allow the way of Christ to orient you towards life abundant for every other way of life will sell you short and leave you empty. And as we orient to Christ, allow the grace of Christ and the forgiveness won for you at the cross to wash over you afresh as we ask Him to forgive our sin and our hidden faults and to keep us from willful sins as well. Because here's the final one for you, Victor Kids. Jesus forgives our sin and he helps us live in God's way. <coughs> Creation points us to the Creator. The law of God points to how life works best. And in Jesus, there is forgiveness for our sin. And so I wonder for you, what is the work of orientation that God is inviting you into today? Is it about acknowledging our Creator is it about considering his ways? Is it about coming to him con to confession and saying, King Jesus, I need you. Thank you for the cross.